Okay, everyone. Good morning. If you've got a Bible, can you go to Isaiah chapter 6? We are going to get there eventually. Isaiah chapter 6. Just be finding that, looking that up. Let me explain a little bit about what we're going to do today. We're starting a new series this morning, just three weeks more, more, more. Once we finish this, we're going to go back, finish the Psalm of Ascents, which will take us to the end of summer. And then in the new term in September, when we're back after the sort of summer break, we'll be going into the Ten Commandments, which will run us down to Christmas. So that's where we're heading. But what we wanted to do was, we've reached halfway through the year. 2019 effectively is half over. It's the end of June today. And what we wanted to do was take a moment to reflect as halfway through the year, what God said to us at the beginning of the year, and focus in on some of that just to kind of remind us what He said so we don't forget, and then hopefully look to press into that as we finish out the rest of 2019. And um, one of the things that God spoke to us at the beginning of the year um, that we've kind of been pushing into in times of prayer and the like, and I shared it right at the beginning of the year, was a word that we were given by uh, Phil Yates. Uh, to us as a church, and it went something like this. She, she felt she was reading through her Bible, and she came across Ephesians 3.20, where it says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And then she wrote this to us in an email. She said, I read this verse loads, but the, today the phrase infinitely more really jumped out at me. I feel like it's an important phrase for us. And the season we're coming into, I don't know exactly, but I see it becoming the title of something, a sermon series, prayer meeting, or another event, and that we allow it to shape us, how we pray, how we worship, how we seek God, and how we ask for things, how we serve the poor, how we move forward. We felt provoked by that. We started praying into that about how we can be seeking God for more. And what we want to look at over the next few weeks is basically pressing into more of God and asking him for more, more, more. We really want three things. We want, number one, more of Jesus. Number two, more of his kingdom. And number three, more people to meet him. That's kind of what we're about. That's where we're asked. We want more of Jesus, more of his kingdom, and more people to meet him for themselves. And so what we're going to be looking at this week, my wife and I, Melanie, we're going to be sharing this, so I'll be doing a bit, and then she'll be jumping up, finishing the sermon. Next week, we have Joe and Anna, who will be speaking to us. That was a pretty half-hearted whoop. <laughs> That's a little better. They've been having some training this year that they're going to come and share about and what they've learned out of that and some of the things they've put into action through that. And then the final week, um, third week, we basically are going to get a bunch of people up here to share how God has been using them in their homes, workplaces, lives to see more of God come in, more of his kingdom and more of him. So that's where we're going. So. What I'm going to look at, just to frame this as we start, I'm going to read a short section of the Bible, have a look at that, and then I'm going to hand over to Melanie. So, we're going to read from Isaiah 6. I hope you've found it in your Bible. Let me read. It says this, Isaiah 6, starting at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his feet, with two he covered his, oh sorry, two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. 
I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hands on a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Okay, this is a section uh, from the prophet Isaiah. The first five chapters of Isaiah are kind of a, a prelude. Um, for his ministry and then it kind of kicks in in chapter 6 and he has this vision and it begins in the, ki- uh, the year King Uzziah died. Uz- king Uzziah was a king of Judah, the southern kingdom after he had split um, after the reign of Solomon and he was considered a good king. He'd reigned for about 50 plus years there and was generally considered a good king, did good stuff for the Lord. Most of the kings of Israel and Judah were bad but he was one of these shining lights. But he just died. So everything was going like, uh-oh, he's died. It's kind of like there's a downward. He was really good. What's going to happen? What's going to be? And then Isaiah says he had a vision and he saw the Lord. And he says two things he noticed about the Lord. The first one, the Lord was someone who was sovereign authority. He said he was seated on a throne. A throne is a symbol of power and authority. It's a place where kings and queens and royalty sit. It's a symbol of power. When you talk about the throne, nations with thrones, that's where it is. And back, we go back a few hundred years, the power of the throne was absolute over life and death and everything. If the king said something, it happened. So he sees the Lord and he is seated on a throne. So he's someone of supreme power and authority. But it also says the throne is high and lift it up, which means it's above other thrones. There are lots of places that have kings or queens, royal houses and the like, but the one that the Lord sits on is high and lifted up. It is greater than all others. It's not one among many. It is the greatest, the highest, the biggest, the supreme authority. Any other throne, any other power, any other principality, anything else sits below him, sits under the Lord. He is ruling and reigning over all things. And then it says, the train of his robe filled the temple. So the train of a robe is the bit that kind of comes out the back. I suppose the most kind of common place we would see it now would be on a bride on a wedding day. They often have trains that come out the back of their dress that they sort of, as they walk down the aisle and they scrape on the floor. And he's saying this train, this robe that a king might wear was so vast, so big, that it filled the temple. And the temple was a huge building built by Solomon. Vast, massive area, high ceilings, huge. And he says, just the train of the robe filled the temple. It points to the vastness of God. Only the end bit of his robe gets in there, let alone the robe and the person who's wearing it can't fit in the temple. He's so big, he is so vast. So not only is he sitting on a throne, he's high and lifted up above everything. There is a vastness and a majesty to who the Lord is. And it said it filled the temple. The temple was the touching point between heaven and earth. It's where the presence of God dwelt among his people. It was in the center of Jerusalem, the city of God, in the center of the nation, of the people of God. And this temple represented where heaven touched earth. Because there was a place in the middle of the temple, the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwelt over the ark. 
And so that was it. And so God filled that. And so there was a vastness and a greatness of God who was high and lifted up that fills not only the heavens but also the earth. He is huge. He is the supreme authority over everything and he fills everything. The second thing that we see from there is that he is holy. We have these interesting creatures called the seraphim. The seraphim is um, only mentioned here in the Bible, a couple of places. This verse, I think it's verse 3 and verse 6, but they're, they're only mentioned here. Seraphim just means burning one. And so there's the image of they're like, they're on fire. These burning, fiery creatures who are around the throne. And they must have appeared like dancing flames. And it said they had six wings. Now there's lots of speculation about what these wings mean and commentators no one agrees no one really knows but there's speculation they've said they have two wings and they covered their face that could be that they were not to pry into the things of God they were merely creatures despite being heavenly incredible creatures they were still just creatures and so they covered their face they didn't want to look into the things of God it said they covered their feet two wings covered their feet that could be that they were not to go walk their own path they were merely creatures who served the living God and they were to follow his path. And then finally, they had two wings. They, were, they flew. They were swift to obey the commands of the Lord. And so you've got these crazy creatures up there with wings. And they're burning. And it's they're kind of around the throne. And the eyes like, whoa. And it says they were calling to one another. So there was a shout of continuous praise because they were talking to one another. Yelling. I don't know if one was calling and the other one was calling back. You know, when you have those... Repeat songs, I'll say something, you repeat it back. Were they doing that? We don't know. But there was continuous praise coming from them. And what were they saying? They were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. In the Bible, repetition is added for emphasis. Modernly, we might underline something or put it in bold, but when we read Scripture, if something is said twice, we must take note of it. Jesus often said, truly, truly. I say to you, you're like, whoa, take note. He's really emphasizing a point here. When it's emphasized three times, you have that extra, okay, this is really important. And as far as I'm aware, it's only ever done in relation to God and his holiness. So we've got like, okay, this is not just three times. It's only about one subject, his holiness. It's repeated. It's emphasized. God is holy. What does that mean? God means he's separate. He's other. He's different. He's vast and he's far above us. He's, he's pure, completely beyond us. He's not likeness. Isaiah was in the presence of greatness as he stood before the Lord. The second thing we come to is in the presence of greatness, his guilt is exposed. In response to the vision, what does he say? It says, first the foundations of the threshold stood, um, shook thresholds of the temple, if the threshold is shaking like an earthquake, what that's saying is you can't go in here. You can't enter. The doorway itself is shaking. You can't even get inside. You are separated. You are outside looking in. You cannot go into the presence of God. So he can't enter. God is too holy. And then in response to that, his sin is exposed. In the presence of holiness and purity and otherness, suddenly you come aware of your own sin. And Isaiah is completely aware of his guilt. What does he say? He says, woe to me, I'm lost. And he suddenly becomes aware of his sin, how far he's fallen, short of God's glory. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. The very words 
of my mouth, the things I say are not fit to be said in the presence of God. And not only am I like this, all the people around me are. We're all falling short of God's glory. We are all lost. It's all a problem. And the words used there don't just use, aren't just for external things, things we say and do, which we all know we have problems with, but there's an internal problem as well. We are fundamentally flawed as people. And as I recognize this, like, oh my goodness, I've been completely exposed. When you come against something so pure and good and right, suddenly your sin is exposed. Peter even did that um, when he met Jesus at that time. When Jesus performed a miracle, it suddenly was like his eyes were open and he fell before the Lord on his knees and said, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. He couldn't stand in the presence of holiness. So what happens as a result of that? We've had an encounter, we've had guilt, then there is a cleansing that takes place, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah is guilty. God is holy. What could possibly happen with this? Isaiah is lost. There's nothing he can do about it. But God intervenes. It says the seraphim, the command of God, they come. And it uses these words. It uses burning coal, altar, taken away, atoned for. These are words of sacrifice and of the temple system where sacrifices were made um, for the sins of the people of God. Sacrifice were made, blood was spilled, animals were taken, killed, burnt to cover over the sins of the people for all they'd done. And this was happening on a daily basis again and again and again because of the sin of the people. And this is happening here. It's uh, the images of God's wrath being poured out for sin on, on others but it being taken away and it being absorbed by the sacrifice so the people can go free. The people can enter the presence of God. It was personified in the priesthood and then the high priest would go into the presence of God once a year on the Day of Atonement. This is the imagery. It's all what the Old Testament sacrificial system is about. How can man approach God when they are sinful? When all the evil things they've said and done. And then we have this strange bit where this coal is taken from the altar and it is placed on his lips Why the mouth? Well, the mouth is the place we confess, where we recognize that we have fallen short. Internally, we may know it, but until there's a humility to say, actually, God, I need you. I need your help. I recognize that I am not worthy to be in your presence, which is what he said, woe is me. I'm lost. Help. Then it comes to that, and it says there that he is then cleansed. His guilt is taken away. His sin is atoned for. He is now able to go into the presence of the Holy God because his sin has been done. with. He has been made clean, not just externally but internally. There's been something has happened there by the intervention of God on his life, and now he can stand before a holy God. And then the final thing, what happens then? Number four, verse eight, he is commissioned and then I heard the voice of the Lord saying who shall I send who shall go for us interesting it's us little point to the trinity there God in three persons and then what does Isaiah say here am I send me the result of this process is a calling of God to go to go do to go and bring his message of grace and love to the world Isaiah had been guilty He stood before a holy God. There's nothing he can do about it. He was completely lost. But God dealt with his sin and then says, who is going to go and share this message? And Isaiah immediately send me, overcome with a revelation of who God is. So what we have here in the prophet Isaiah, we have a man who encountered God, 
became aware of his sin, is cleansed by God, and then commissioned for his purposes. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Because if you're a Christian here, that's what's happened to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, that is what happened to you. You had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus, God himself, who came to earth as a man, lived a perfect life, died death on a cross in our place for our sin, then rose bodily from death, commissioned his followers to go and filled them with the Holy Spirit to empower them for that task. That is what happened to us. That is what happened to you. That's what happened to you when you became a Christian. That was the process. What Isaiah went through, a little bit, might be a little bit more dramatic for Isaiah when it's written down like that, but that in essence is what happened to you. And so if we're going to be people who pursue God and go after God and ask for more of God and all that he's done, it begins, number one, with an encounter. It begins initially when you become a Christian, but it, we never leave that place. We never leave that place of encounter with God. If you follow the, the story of the early church through the book of Acts, it was again and again an encounter with times of prayer and worship and studying God's word. They met with God, sometimes in dynamic ways that we see. They are then empowered for service. If you're not a believer here, this is what we want for you today, to meet Jesus for yourself so that you know him, that your sin is dealt with pushed away onto Jesus that you can then be made holy, righteous and can go and serve him in all he's done. And so for us today to be people who are after more of Jesus, more of his kingdom, more people to meet it, this is where it starts. It starts, number one, with an encounter with him. So we're going to be pushing into worship at the end. That's what we're going to ask because we want to encounter him. But it doesn't just stand there. As a result of that, we deal with the junk in our lives the mess that comes up, the things that he raises, the sin that we need to just get sorted. Things keep coming up. We repent of them. We turn away from them. But at the same time, we're saying, God, fill me and commission me that I may go to share this good news with others and that others may in turn come to know you, that I can live out your kingdom wherever I am. Because that's effectively what Isaiah was saying. I'd be, use me wherever. Interestingly, God didn't say where he would go. He just said, are you going to go? And Isaiah said, yes. I'm probably more a bit more like, where exactly do you want me to go, Lord? You know, is it going to be safe? Is it going to be cool? Is the sun going to shine? No, no, as I was just, I'm going, wherever it is. And so as we strive after God, as we seek for more, 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 which is what I believe he's called us to, that's what we've got to be, encountering Jesus, dealing with the sin in our life, and then being willing to go and be commissioned wherever he has placed us, whatever sphere of life that is. Amen? Mel, do you want to come and do the next bit? I'm Melanie, if we haven't met yet. I don't always preach with a giant glass of wine, but this morning I will if that's okay. I promise not to drink any. Phil's word for me when she brought it um, really just struck a chord. I, I loved hearing it. I loved the emphasis of going for infinitely more and I liked it so much that I thought to myself, I want to do something with it in my place of influence. So where I've got influence, I want to take hold of what God said and, and get it out there. I want to read her 
word again to you. And then I want to show you how to approach prophecy. And I want to show you how to get in on the back of what God's saying. As a local church, I want us to be doing this, that we don't just hear words and think, oh, that was a nice word. I feel like my belly's been rubbed and I can go and and just carry on. I want us to hear it and think, that's God speaking. There's something in that. And when prophecy comes, it will always be a mix of God and man. So if someone's, if you say to someone, I loved that word, and they say to you, oh, it was all the Lord, you can say, no, 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 it would have been better than that if it was all the Lord. God loves to work through people. Prophecy will always have a mix of man and God. And depending, I think, on on where you're at and what's going on will depend on how much of a mix it has. And some words you hear and you think, oh, that's lovely. And some you hear, you think, well, that's probably a little bit for you as well. And I think that's fine. We can cope with all of that in real life church and God can cope with all of that. So I want to read Phil's word. I want to show you a little bit how to approach prophecy and then I want to suggest some things that we do. So Phil said this, I've read this verse loads before but today the phrase infinitely more really jumped out at me and I feel like it's an important phrase for us in this season we're coming into. I don't know exactly but I see it becoming the title of something, perhaps a sermon series, prayer meeting, other event or ministry area and that we are to allow it to shape how we pray, we worship, how we seek God and how we ask for things, how we serve the poor and how we move forward. So when I approach prophecy, and I know I've told you this before, but I know we need to hear this stuff over and over again. When we approach prophecy, we tend to use the traffic light signals, so red, amber, green. When we approach prophecy, the first thing we do is red and we stop, and we make sure that it's in line with the Word of God. So this is my Bible, I would open it up and I would first look up that verse. I would first make sure that it actually says that because loads of people say the Bible says and then misquote it. Loads of people do that. I've done that before. It's like my worst nightmare getting up here and accidentally slightly misquoting the Bible and it being recorded for all to hear and one of the elders having to rugby tackle me off the stage. It's like my worst nightmare. So all of us say things that that kind of is what the Bible says and kind of isn't what the Bible says. So I would always come back to here. I'd always open up. We're training our boys that when it comes to truth, we go here first. We check it here. We make sure that it's in line with this. We say things like this is above us. So we don't judge it. It judges us. But it's also the thing we stand on. It's the thing we put our life upon. It's, it's our foundation. So it's, it's over us and it is beneath us. It is our foundation and it is our final authority on everything. If the Bible does not agree with what culture says or someone else is saying, we don't bend culture or bend our belief systems to make it work with this. We work out how to bend and work with this. We work out how to communicate, how to get in line with this, how to treat this as our plumb line. 
We work out how to do that. We work out how our lives bend and flex in order to do what this says. So I would stop and test it. And the things that I know about the Bible. So in Genesis 1:22, it says this. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. You see, God isn't about a small thing. Sometimes we say, oh, I like it when it's small. I like it when there's just a few of us. I like it when we keep it nice and tight. God isn't about that. He's about people and he's about millions of them. He's about filling places with his glory, with his people. He's about the small in that he wants us in communities with one another. But he is about the vast. He is about the huge. And if we ever get to a place where we're like, we're satisfied with this. We're not clinging on to God enough. We're not feeling his heart enough. He's about the vast. Revelation 7, 9 says this, And I saw a vast crowd to great account from every nation, tribe and people and language. And they were standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and they held palm branches in their hands. At the end of days, at the end of time, what stands before the throne is a vast crowd. It's not your home, your cars, what you've amassed. It is people and there is a vast number of them standing before the throne. If we ever needed convincing that God is about more... Go to the start of the Bible and go to the end of the Bible. See the two pictures. Look at creation, where he begins it and he says, okay, go now, multiply. More fish, more birds, more people, more, more, more. Go to the end and you see a great crowd where God is going, more, more, look at it. So many people. We live in the middle bit. We live in the bit between creation and revelation. And what we are unashamedly going after is more. Is there a number for us? No. And we will not fixate on numbers. So you will very rarely hear us talking about numbers because we're all about people here. Are there enough yet? No. Are we done yet here in Sutton Coalfield? No way. Is there a vast number here that no one can count? No, we can count. I can count how many chairs we've got out. We can count how many people are in life groups, in in youth, in kids. We know how many sit here. We need a number so vast that no one can count. We need to add in to this vast picture of heaven. So red, I would check it against the word of God. I would make sure it's in line with his character, in line with what he says. I would say that for me, the infinitely more or going for more is in line with the character of God and the pictures that you see throughout scripture. We would then go for a bit of amber. So I don't know what you're like when you're waiting at traffic lights if you drive. Amber for me is that bit where I'm getting ready and I'm going to make sure that I don't knock anyone over. You know, I'm I'm getting ready. I'm getting my car ready. I'm getting ready to go through. I'm checking. I'm making sure that no one's just striding out into the road. I'm positioned. I'm waiting, but I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready for something. I'm positioned, but I'm getting ready for something. And for me, at the time that Phil bought her word, there were several other words going around. So I bought something about going deeper so that God will go higher. So I said, if we make him our focus and we go after him, he will build I've always felt that with God. I've always felt that if we concentrate on going after him, on going after his presence, he'll build it. He'll build the house. 
because partly because he says he will, but I also know there's something in the heart of God that delights when we go after him. And when God is delighted, he adds. That's what he does. When God shows up and he's doing things, he just adds. He, he's like a dad. He just can't help himself but to add in, to go, okay, let, well, let's get more. Let, let's carry on with this. This is good. That's what God is like. So I felt this sense of if we built and we went after him, he would take us higher. He would make us bigger. At the same time, Ben Senior brought something about us being a people that were found in his house, and it would be a house that would be a house for the nations. And we felt this kind of sense of, oh, there's loads of people and different groups and different languages and different, that sounds to me revelation-y. That sounds beautiful. So if you go deeper, I'll go higher. If you go after more, I'll give you more. If you stay in my house and build my house, I'll bring the nations. All of those for me, while we were waiting, while we were watching, all came together. We were like, this feels lovely. They were all spoken within a month, really. And, and it we all felt like God was saying something, doing something. So we started to get excited. We started to get excited about going deeper. We started to get excited about him building higher. We started to get excited about the more that we might be able to access. We started getting excited about the nations, thinking, who will he bring? What will we do? Where will we go? Started thinking about the young men and women that sit here who are going to move to other nations are going to plant churches, are going to take careers where they can go anywhere and do anything. They might become teachers or nurses or doctors or or builders or plumbers, and they might just take that somewhere else and build somewhere else. We just started to get excited. And then green, which is the last one, is where we go and we do something. And when the light goes green, you have to move. You have to move or someone starts beeping the horn behind you. When the light is green, you better move. There's a set of traffic lights in Sutton, which I love because they're, they're red, amber, green. And then there's a directional arrow. That if you don't live in Sutton, nearly everyone forgets that arrow. And if you're sat there, everyone's honking their horns going, move. And, and it's one that I pull up at regularly and just think, how interesting, because this one here still says red, but this over here says green. And people get there and think, I just don't know what to do. When the light is green, you need to move. Otherwise, some of the people behind you are going to start honking. We need to move when the lights are green. We need to go somewhere, do something. When we approach the prophetic and we look at it, we need to move. We need to do something. When we've made sure that it's in line with God, when we've checked it with other feelings, other senses, we then need to move or we should expect some loud noises behind us, honking us and moving us on. And I want to suggest some things that you can do to go for more. I want to suggest the first thing is you need to approach God differently. So I don't know about you. I don't know how you feel about wine. I love a glass of wine. If I'm being honest, the larger the glass, the better, really, because I have this rule that I'll only really have one glass. So if I'm only having one glass, it ain't looking like this. It might look a little more like this. (laughs) So when we approach God, we need to be saying more, not with our hands like this or not with our glass like this. And you can say more to God just by going, all right, God, if you want me to have more, I'll have more, but you'll have to dump it on my lap and it'll have to be so obvious that no one could miss it. And we could go for him like that. Or we could say to God, I want more. 
and I, and I want to go after it and I'm setting my heart on it and I've got my glass ready and I'm saying, yes, please fill me up, Lord. Give me what you've got. So when someone says, we want to pray with you, we want to prophesy of you, we don't just go, well, I suppose if you want to. If you pick me out and you make me come to the front, I'll come. We say, yes, please. And we're up out of our chairs and we're saying, more, Lord. One of the ways we get more is we say to God, yes, please. And we stretch out our hand and we say, more. It's one of the ways. It's a different kingdom. We don't get it because we're polite and we sit back and we go, okay, God, well, if you want to, I'll just wait here and someone will come and bring it to me and feed me it. And, and, and if you really are that powerful, I suppose you can do that. That's not how the kingdom works. Four small men and women take hold of the kingdom of God. The men and women I know who have gone for great things in God have held up a glass like that and they've gone, yes, please. They haven't sat there going, why does everyone else get it and not me? They've gone, yes, Lord. So I want to suggest first, it's an attitude of the heart where we agree with the prophetic and go, yes, Lord, I want more. Secondly, I want to suggest that that some of you need to sort out your Bible reading and your relationship with Jesus. We never get more if we don't go for more in the word of God and more in our personal walks with God. So the thing I did straight away was I was like, I want a book in the Bible where I know I'm going to hunger after more. So I went for Daniel. I was like, man, Daniel for me is a character in the Bible who goes after things in a culture that is so like our own, to be honest, is crying out for you to bow down and worship anything other than the one true God. Daniel is a young man, but the book spans his whole life. I thought, I'm going to go after Daniel. I'm going to read. I'm going to learn as much as I can. So I purchased this, which is just a scripture journaling Bible and it's just the book in the Bible with blank pages alongside it that I can read and I can learn more and I can jot down stuff and I can say to God you and me in this season we're going in the lion's den we're going in the fiery furnace we're going to learn together what it means for me to go after more and I'm all ears and I'm listening and I want the the crazy stuff I want the visions I want the hand writing on the wall I want the angels I want all of it I don't want to have a normal, ordinary relationship with you. I want the good stuff. And so I got Daniel out and I just got journaling. I just got reading it. Our boys noticed that we were doing this and said, well, can we have one of those? I was like, of course you can. I didn't say to them, it's the ESV and it's quite a grown-up translation. And also the book is very grown-up. I was like, you want it? You can have it. So theirs is covered in wild pictures and scribbles and food on it, you know. But they are joining us on this journey. They're coming along too. Some of you simply, to pick this up, you need to pick your Bible up and read it. And you need to engage with it and say, God, speak to me. And if you tell me to do something, I'm all over it. I'm doing it. I made a decision when I heard this word to say yes to every opportunity that came up for me from that point forward. And to be honest, it's a little exhausting because there have been some amazing opportunities in this season that I've just said to God, all right, I can see that you're opening that up for me. I'm going to say yes and I'm going to go for it. 
And a lot of the time, there are opportunities all around us, but we're so fixated over here with what I don't have that we miss what we do have. That we're so fixated, well, this isn't what I particularly wanted, that we miss opportunities to go for more. So some of mine that have come up lately, I run a school prayer group in the school that my boys are a part of. And lately there's been a few opportunities where I've been able to share about that prayer group at induction evenings, where I've been able to influence some of the staff and pray for them, where I've been able to influence some family situations because we've had access to it. And I've just gone, okay, God, is it convenient? No. Does it take up more of my time? Yes. Am I going to say yes? Well, for sure I am because I want more. And the only way we get more is by saying yes, Lord. That's the only way. So it's meant for me some things like doing assemblies, doing lessons, which are time consuming. I've I've had to do some of my work late at night because I haven't been able to do it in the day. It's meant some things where it's cost me, but I have seen some amazing fruit. So I'll just tell you one thing. So I did an assembly not that long ago. Um, out of the song, I am who you say I am. And we had a big cut out of a person. Every kid had post-it notes and we taught them through things that the Bible says about you as a person. We asked them to draw or write down their favourite bit that they heard. So explain they were a gift. A pri- uh, they were royalty. So they might have drawn a crown or loads of them, hundreds of kids all drawing or writing down things that God says about them. At the end, they had a class cut out of a person that they all came up and stuck it on. And then the class teacher took it back and put it up in their room. Later on that week, I had a a chat with one of the teachers who said, we're teaching our kids that song, I am who you say I am. So in class, teaching the kids. This week, I get another message saying, in the key stage one assembly, all the kids have learned, I am who you say I am, and they're all singing it. We had a tiny snippet of a video where you could just hear them all singing this beautiful song about who they are. That's because you say yes to one thing that then knocks on. And my opportunities will be completely different to yours because we stand in different places and do different jobs. I recognise that. However, you each have opportunities where you can say yes to be influential for the kingdom. And you have no clue what God's going to do with it as it tracks forward. I would say say yes to as much as you can. In worship now, I've made this decision. Whether my kids are on track and loving it or they're lobbing toys around or they're doing whatever, I am going for Jesus. I'm going for seeing his face, singing about him. Whether I like the songs or not, I've got to be hands on heart honest. Some of the songs we sing, I love. Some of them, I don't. They are not for me. Those songs are not to please my heart. They are not for my good or for my benefit. They are for Jesus. So whether I like them or not, they belong to him. And I sing them to him and for him, which means sometimes I sing a style of songs I wouldn't listen to at home. Sometimes I sing words I think that so isn't how I would phrase it. Sometimes I sing old songs that I've got no connection with. Because I haven't been saved that long. Well, I've been saved long enough, but not that long. And sometimes we sing brand new songs that I think, I'm not loving this. They are not for me. They're for him. And as long as the words glorify him and lift him up, I'm going to sing them at the top of my voice. Sometimes in tune, sometimes not. 
sometimes too loud, you know, that's just how it is. They are for him. They are my gift to him. And I've made a choice that I'm going to sing them with gusto and I'm going to engage. And if my boys are being a bit wild and crazy, I'm going to just keep reminding them, do you know what, boys, this bit is for Jesus. So could you stop lobbing your toy at me, pulling on my clothes, trying to ask me for a drink? Can we just sing? And I'm just making that choice. I'm fasting now. I have loved doing the prayer and fasting church of prayer. So I've just made a choice. I said to Jesus, I've loved those Tuesdays. We've gone deeper. I've prayed with more authority. So I'm going to fast every Tuesday. That's the deal I've made with God. And I'm telling you that, not because I'm showing off. I'm telling you that because this is my journey. And I want to encourage you to go on more journeys with Jesus. So I said to Jesus, on Tuesdays, I will fast all day. If it's a life group night... I'm going to break my fast when I go to life group when I'm going to eat. If it's a church at prayer night, I'm going to fast all the way through until Wednesday morning and I'll break my fast with the biggest breakfast you've ever known. And that's what I'm going to do because I have felt a connection to Jesus that has been deeper. And I felt it these last few weeks that we've been doing it. And God has done something in me where it's made me hungry for more. I mean, literally hungry, but also spiritually hungry. I want more from Jesus. I want him to do more in my life and in my kids' life and in my husband's and in the life of the church. I I want more, so I'm going for that. And lastly, I've made this deal with Jesus that if we go deeper together and if we go for more together and he does more, I'm going to give all glory to him. I'm not taking any of the credit. I'm going to make sure that my life keeps on pointing to Jesus. I'm going to make sure that when I, when I go for the more and I say to Jesus, yes, please, and he does something, I'm going to be the most thankful person. So when I'm seeing stuff breaking out at school now, I, last week I thought I could literally see God reviving the school my boys were a part of. I, I literally started to see things where I thought this could happen. This could honestly happen and I'm starting to get excited. When it starts to happen, I am not going to say that is because of my great gift. I'm going to say this is because of you, Jesus I'm going to raise a glass to him and I'm going to say, because you poured out more, I've got more. You've done more. You're incredible. You're fantastic. You're outstanding. I'm going to make sure that people know it's because of him and not because I've got some nice gift to communicate or I'm good with kids. I'm going to make sure that people know it's because of Jesus. It's because of what he's done in my life. So I'm going to ask the band to come and join me. We want to direct worship a little bit differently today. And we want to do a little bit of this from time to time. So we would like you to hold the prophetic today. And I know that sounds weird because we're talking about a prophetic word. And, but what we want to do this morning is we want to sing some songs and unashamedly lift our voices to Jesus. Stuart and I want to bring something towards the end where we get us to respond to the preach word. But we would like to ask you to hold on to the prophetic today. So if you feel a word bubble up and you think, I just have got to communicate that. Could you email it to us, please, today? So just go home, email it, and we will get it out to people. Or we might come back to you and say, bring that in your life group this week. Or come to church at prayer and bring it there. Does that sound okay? We want to sing loads of songs about Jesus. We want to get right 
into his presence and then we want to respond to the more, more, more. So what we feel we've got here is a word that we already have had brought that we want to respond to. Does that sound all right? Lovely. Let's stand. Let's worship him. Let's lift up his name. Let's look at him and let's be a people that go for more. Let's not be satisfied with our current experience of Jesus or our past ones. Let's say, Jesus, you brand new are your blessings every day. What you have for us is more. It's vast. It's incredible. And we're not there yet. We know that, God. Amen.